the First Christian Church of Tiefland brings you the good news. And now, Tom Schultz. You know, we might have some little stumbles along the way. Ted might play in the wrong key, which that rarely happens. <laughs> the bulletin might be wrong. The preacher might call people by the wrong name. <laughs> but you know what's really true? Christ Jesus is still on the throne. Amen. That hasn't changed. No matter our little mistakes this morning, Christ Jesus is still on the throne. I'd like to clear something up real quick. I talked about my little five-year-old at home. Mom and Dad are there, of course, and they take good care of her. And as many times as I talk about her, by the way, she is a redhead, five years old, who already said, I want to be six. That don't happen for three more months. But she is such a joy to my wife and I and to everybody. And uh, I just love her to death. So I'm looking forward to maybe her and I having a, a new bond together while Leonie's away. And uh, I can already see that starting to grow some because she'll climb up in the bed and she used to just want to stay right over on Leonie's side. Now she'll come over and she nuzzles up to me and takes my arm and she goes like this, Papa. And she puts my arm around her so I can hold on to her. She's a sweetheart. Well, as I said, you wouldn't usually know, but today I'm preaching a sermon called Cool Runnings. Which way will you run? And I say part one, so obviously I have more than one part uh, to this series that we're going to have in the next few weeks. I'd like to ask you this question. What do you want out of life? Now, I know some of you are maybe in your sunshine years. We were about it. As young as we once were, but then don't be we still don't expect things out of life. Maybe it's a college degree, great paying career, love of family and friends, a strong marriage, lots of money, a beautiful home, a sound and faithful spiritual life. And I imagine the list could go on and on and on, but what do you want out of your life? The next question is, what will you do to get it? There was a Disney movie some years ago called Cool Runnings. How many of you have ever seen that movie? It's a movie worth watching. It really is. It's a fun movie called Cool Runnings. It was loosely based on the true story of the Jamaica's very first Olympic bobsled team that competed in the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary, Canada. In the movie, practically everyone looked down on their team. Their coach was a disgraced bobsledder who'd been kicked out of the sport for cheating. Their team was a sloppy group of black men from a country which had never seen snow, let alone a bobsled, and the sled they used was a rebuilt and repainted rejected practice sled of the United States. But these four men were determined to work hard and represent their country. And near the end of the movie, on their final run, the Jamaican bobsled team crashes. But they refused to admit defeat. They picked up their damaged bobsled and carried it across the finish line on their shoulders. And as they carried it, people began to clap and to see them, encouraging them to the end. You see, now one of the themes throughout the entire movie was this. All they wanted was respect. That's what they strove for, respect from the other teams. And their battle cry became just that, 
respect. And by all reasonable expectations, they shouldn't have even been able to compete that year. But because they didn't cheat, they didn't complain, they didn't give up, because of how they ran their race, they gained the one thing that mattered most to them. Admiration and respect. You know, one of the underlying messages from the movie was, there's a right way and a wrong way to get what you want in life. I'd like to read with you, if you would follow along in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 40. I'd like to read the first eight verses here. Isaiah chapter 40 starts out verse 1. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. Tell her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because of the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Our most holy God, this morning I pray that we'll understand there's a right way to do things and a wrong way. And if we're going to get where we want to be in this life, Lord, we need to do them the right way, your way. And I pray, Lord, this morning, when we talk about the wrong ways to do things, that we'll understand maybe, maybe some of those we're still doing in our life and how we can correct those today. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us that as we run, we run in the right way. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What does he want most out of life? Well, I want to share with you this morning, there's a right way and a wrong way. And let's first talk about the right way. And the right way is this. The right way is it must, must, must include God. Must include God. Back to that 40th chapter of Isaiah, verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. This is very comforting here. This is some good words from God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, how calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, Weighed the mountains in scales and, and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or, as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, showed him the, the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and are counted as the small dust on the balance. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. 
And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor it be sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. You see, some people want love. Others seek financial security. And still others respect and understanding. What does the Bible say? In Psalm 37 verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It is God's desire to give you your desire. But there's a caveat. There's a condition that we must consider. Let's rephrase that verse and look at it in reverse. He will give you the desires of your heart if you delight yourself in the Lord. The problem is, many people, even Christians, want what they want on their own terms, not God's. They either don't want to wait on God or they don't want to live under God's authority and his leadership. And so they'll seek other ways to obtain what they want in life. You see, the key to doing it the right way is to remember the words of Jesus. In Matthew 26, 39, what Jesus say? Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless... Not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus asked in the garden of Gethsemane, if it's possible, God, don't make me go to the cross. Is what he was saying. Don't make me go to the cross. Jesus' humanity shines forth. What did he say? Jesus understood the big plan. Nevertheless, it's not about what I want. It's what you want. And because you want, I'm going. Nothing's going to stop me. You know, that's doing what God wants us to, to receive the desires of our heart. Instead, you ought to say, according to James 4.15, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So see, what is the right way? Delight yourself in the Lord. Have a relationship with Him. Well, how do we have a relationship with Him? Here's the, I tell you often, it's easy. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I don't know how many homes still have those big Bibles. They've been quote, quote unquote family Bibles. Many, many years ago, I remember Liani and I, a man knocked at the door. I think it's the only time we ever bought something from a door-to-door -door salesman. He knocked on the door, and our boys were just starting high school, or starting elementary school, excuse me, and he was selling encyclopedias. And it came with a whole set of encyclopedias and a whole set of uh, classical novels and, and a whole set of some other kind of book. And it comes with a family Bible. I mean, this thing must have been this big. You know what I knew about that Bible? Ah, that's the one that sits on the coffee table that nobody ever opens. Except to write it when somebody's born or dies. And that's what I thought it was for. 
So don't worry about the family Bible. Take this Bible right here. Take your Bible. If you don't have one, get one. Read this thing. Cover to cover. Not only read it, study it. You know when people say, I don't know enough to tell anybody about Jesus. Now I've never said this to anybody, but I thought it. I want to say, do you read your Bible? But I know maybe that would put them on the spot. But maybe I ought to start asking them. How are you going to know what's in there to tell people about if you don't ever read it? Stepping on somebody's toes, I guess. It's okay. It only hurts for a little while. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Pray about what you read and pray for others. Worship. Fellowship with God and His children. That's how we have a relationship with God. That's how we delight our God. And that's how the, he will delight back to us our desires. Because when we're reading and we're studying and we're praying and we're worshiping and we're fellowshipping. And we start to talk to God with those delights and desires of our life that we're going to be asking him just like Jesus did. This is what I want. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see, did Judah, as we're talking about, delight themselves in the Lord, as we read there in Isaiah 40? Absolutely not! Judah sought to do it like Frank Sinatra. I want to do it my way! And the message out of Isaiah 40 is this. There's a right way and a wrong way to get what you desire in life. And Judah had gone about pursuing their goals in the entirely wrong way. You see, the wrong way was ignore, ignore God for self. You just ignore God for yourself. You see, for some time Judah had been pursuing Safety, security, and strength. They were a small kingdom surrounded by a large and more powerful nation. They felt weak and threatened. It was almost as if they were running a race. They believed that they needed every advantage they could find. So they sought to strengthen themselves by invoking the names of other gods, by making alliances with pagan nations. Now why would they do this? This was Judah. They were the people of God. Why on earth would they turn their back on God and seek out other sources of power? Well, it's quite simple. You see, they didn't ignore the dangers that surrounded them. To the north of Judah, there was an empire called Babylon. It was a powerful kingdom. It had a fearsome army and a reputation for destroying any nation in their path. And Judah was smack dab in Babylon's way. Now I have to admit to you that it's hard for me to sympathize with Judah's fears or to not sympathize. They, they live in a, real, a very real world filled with their very real danger. A former police officer for the Los Angeles Police Department named Bob Vernon tells of how the department would demonstrate to rookie officers the value of the bulletproof vest they had been issued. The vests were placed on mannequins, then the officers would fire round after round into the vests. And the rookies were asked to check to see if any of the rounds had penetrated the vest. And invariably, the vest would pass the test with flying colors. And Vernon would then turn to the rookie officers and say, Okay, so who wants to wear a vest and let us test it by shooting bullets at you and see if it works? 
Now, how many of you would put on those vests and allow marksmen to take a shot at you? No heroes in the bunch? <laughs> now, I don't blame you. You can cover my entire body with that armor, and I'd still hesitate to put it on and let somebody shoot at me. And why? I'll tell you why. It's because one thing to say, I have faith, isn't it? But it's quite another to actually act on that faith. Said something. Hope you didn't miss it. You see, this world can be a dangerous place, and the things that, that we desire in this life can often be threatened by powers beyond our own strength. We might lose our jobs, our relationships, our families, and at times like these, it's easy to panic. It's easy to take our eyes off of God's faithfulness and begin to look around for other forms of power and security. But throughout Scripture, God's message has always been to His people, Trust me. Put your faith in my promises. Act upon my assurances. And one man asked, Do you want to be in the center of God's will? And then turn, he said, to the center of God's word. The verse that is exactly in the middle of the Bible. Anybody know what that is? Psalms 118, verse 8, says this. It's the middle of the Bible, people. Remember it, write it down. You want to be in the middle of God's word. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. There you go. That's a good place to have our life in the middle of God's word, isn't it? So it is hard to ignore the dangers that surround us, the forces that threaten our hopes and dreams in this life. But it is at times like those that it is critical that we put our faith in God and Him alone. Don't allow the dangers, the trials, the temptations, the tribulations to take your eyes off of God. You remember what happened to Peter in the Sea of Galilee? Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. He asks Jesus to command him. He said, command me, Lord, to walk on water with you. And Jesus says to, to Peter, one simple word, come on! That's two words. And out of the boat, Peter jumps. And Peter starts walking on water. And then what happens? Peter takes his eyes off the Lord and starts seeing the waves and feel the wind, and he's no longer looking at Jesus, and he starts to sink. And Jesus is, he's, he says, Lord, save me! And I always have to laugh when I read that, because I can see Jesus walking over, grabbing Peter, and dragging him through the water, back into the boat. And I don't think Peter walked on water back to the boat. And then Jesus says, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? But you know, the, to me, the moral of that story, those words weren't just for Peter. I think those were all for the other guys that he didn't even have the courage to get out of the boat to walk on water. Peter at least had the courage to do it and ask permission. Jesus said, Come. That's what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. They didn't ignore the visible strengths of the Lord. They didn't ignore the visible strengths of this world. Yeah, believe in God is okay. 
But you can't see God, can you? You can't touch God. And there are people who prefer to rely on things they can see, touch, and feel. It's tempting to realize more on my bank account and financial security than on God's riches. It's tempting to rely more upon political parties than I do upon the lordship of God. It's tempting to rely more upon justice of courts than upon the faithfulness of God. And these are things I can see, things I can touch, things I can feel. But God's riches and faithfulness and lordship are often invisible to my eyes. And so my tendency is to rely upon what I can see and handle and touch. And that's why Judah had drifted away from God, began to trust pagan nations, began to worship pagan gods. These were visible, tangible to their eyes and their hands. But God said, have you looked closely at the things you've put, in your, tr put your trust in? Have you considered what you're comparing God with? Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? What likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds a graven image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. The silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. God says, is this what you replace me with? A piece of wood or metal that can be knocked over with a good push. And God asks, do you really think you can replace me with power and might of men? Verse 21, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood with the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. His inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heaven like a curtain and spreads out the heaven like a and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when he will also blow on them and they will wither. And the whirlwind will take away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be, be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. Who calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. God says, would you replace me with mere mortals who can be swept away like chaff? gone. You see, God seems to be asking, what's wrong with you guys? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. In other words, start learning to look at life from God's perspective and not your own. The wrong way is put the spotlight on yourself and ignore God. And number three, the heart of Judah's problem is that very thing. They ignored God. Judah had become accustomed to viewing their lives purely from the viewpoint of their own strength and abilities, not from God's. One of the all-time great movies was the 1959 biblical epic, Ben-Hur. 
One of the movie's most riveting scenes was where Charlton Heston, who played Ben-Hur, he defeated his archenemy in an extremely realistic chariot race. The scene required five weeks of filming, 15,000 extras, and 18 chariots. To add to the spirit of authenticity, Charlton Heston actually learned to drive the chariots he'd be using in the race. But after weeks of practice, Heston was worried about the shoot. He confided in the stunt coordinator these words, I can drive the chariot, but I'm not sure I can win. And the stuntman smiled and replied, Chuck, you just make sure you stay in the chariot and I'll make sure you win the race. <laughs> you see, Heston had made the mistake of thinking that he actually had to win the race by his own power and skill. He had forgotten that, duh, this is a movie. The outcome had already been decided and it was in the script. He couldn't lose. And that's what God's trying to get us to see in Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passing over by, by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In other words, you can actually rely on God's strength. He gives you strength to the weary. Increases the power of the weak. He finds pleasure in helping you when you can't do it anymore. Washington, D.C. The city. How many of you have ever been there? A good number of you have ever been there. I personally think it's the nice, one of the nicest places to visit for all of its history. I've been there many times to see the buildings and the museums and to study the history. One dad took his family on a trip to D.C. and they were most intrigued by all the places they visited. For example, they went to the Spy Museum and also got a special pass to visit the White House and the House of Representatives. They saw the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington. They visited the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, personally one of my favorites. They saw the National Archives where the Declaration of Independence was, the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the Vietnam and Korean Memorials, and most recently the Memorial of the Veterans of World War II. And one thing they remembered most about their visit, and I can attest to this, it was a hot day. They seemed to have to wait forever to go inside the buildings, and there was hardly any shade there. And then they got into the monument, and they had to wait to go up in the elevator. Then they got to the top, and they had to wait to look out those little windows out on the city of Washington. And one thing you have to do when you go to Washington you better understand, put on good shoes because you are going to walk. Walk and walk and walk. We took a friend there. We, he wanted to see the Capitol building. So we walked up to the Capitol building when we got off the Metro Liner 
and stood on the Capitol building. And I've been there many times. And I, you can see from uh, the Capitol building down past the Washington Monument all the way down to the Lincoln Memorial. They say, man, that is such a cool picture. And you want to take pictures of this. Then he says, let's walk down to the Lincoln Memorial. Okay. It's only a few blocks, right? You're dying by the time you get to the Washington Monument and you know you're only halfway. I didn't realize it must be like 50 miles. It don't look that far, but trust me, it's quite a distance. A good two or three miles anyway. But this dad, they finally got up to the room to the Washington Monument to look out the little windows and his little eight-year-old girl got sick to her stomach. She felt like she was going to throw up. And then they found out some interesting thing about the Washington Monument. There are no bathrooms at the top of the Washington Monument. They found a black plastic bag just in case, rushed to the elevator, only to find the line of 20 or 30 people waiting to get into an elevator that was already filled with people. But just then the elevator operator said, I've got room for two more people. Quickly, Dad said, I've got a sick girl here. And the people graciously stepped aside, let them through. And Dad told Mom he would meet them at the White House entrance. They safely made it the bathroom, still feeling hot and tired, but starting to feel a little better. So off to the White House they went. But Dad didn't really know the way in there. and was a lot of construction going on. And that's no surprise for Washington, D.C. And Dad felt lost and confused. And finally, he saw a workman. On a golf cart, he said, can you tell me the best way to get to the White House? The man gave Dad some instructions, which he only vaguely understood, thanked him, and began to walk away. They only walked a few feet when the daughter asked Dad to please carry her on his shoulders. So up she went, and after a few short steps, Dad heard a voice call to him from behind. If you'll hold on, sir, hold her on your lap, I'll drive you folks over to the White House. It was the man in the golf cart. As the man drove them to their destination, Dad noted that his cart had a roof overhead to shield them from the sun. And they moved swiftly along. A breeze cooled their face. As they rode, Dad asked the man about himself. He wasn't just any ordinary workman. He was the supervisor of the construction company that had been engaged in a $2.5 million project right there. Thus, what had potentially been one more long, hot walk in Washington turned out to be a comfortable ride given by the man who basically ran the company. You see, the moral of this vacation story is this. Even strong men grow tired. Even young girls get hot and sick. But our God cares so much for us that he offers us his strength. He offers us wings of eagles to carry us along. He offers us the refreshing coolness of his presence because he cares for us and he knows how frail and weak we can become in a world that can sometimes overpower us. So let me ask you, what do you want out of life? And how are you willing to go about getting it? It's quite simple. Keep your focus on God and ignore the troubles of this world. Remember Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And that's cool runnings when we focus 
one God. Cool runnings. Now maybe you're thinking, I don't like to run anyway. Well, physically I can't blame you. How about spiritually? Do we like to exercise our spiritual life by running? I hope we do. Paul recognized that. He said, I run the race. How did he run the race? He ran the race like it was supposed to be run. With fairness and obeying the rules. How's that done? It's relying on God. It's relying on God. And that's who wins the race. Not those who cheat. Those who run the race and finish the race. I don't want to get too far ahead. That's going to be a sermon in a couple weeks. Love Lifted Me is the, day, the name of our song we're going to sing for our hymn of invitation. There's God's plan of salvation. If you've never followed God's plan of salvation, then the scriptures say, the book of Romans chapter 2, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not His. He makes it quite clear. Well, how do we get the Holy Spirit? Well, we get the Holy Spirit by faith. It starts by faith, believing in who Jesus is and why He came. That faith leads us to repent. So turning away, as we talked about, from that sinful stuff, from the stuff that satisfies self and wanting to do it God's way. Faith also leads us to confess the name of Jesus as Lord, Savior, and Master of our life. And then, faith leads us to be immersed, baptized, which is what the Bible teaches is by immersion, where we have our sins washed away. Then we're filled with God's Holy Spirit, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Guess what? Now we have the legitimate reason to wear the name Christian because it was given to us by God through the Holy 